thanks for checking out the New Life Speakers podcast. All of our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. More information about recovery and our upcoming events can be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org. If you don't want to miss our newest upcoming speakers, don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. This podcast is self-supporting, so if you enjoy this podcast, please put a dollar or two into our virtual basket. You can find a link for this in the description. And if you know someone in need, please share this with them. Thank you. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, yeah, I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, what's up, Dave? Um, welcome to all the newcomers to the meeting. Um, it's, uh, it's good to be here. I am a little bit nervous because I know so many of you in the room here tonight, but, um, you know, recovery's been a really great journey, and I, uh, I'm happy to share that experience with you tonight. Um, I've recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. Um, in some ways, I feel like I've been rocketed into the fourth dimension of recovery. You know, I have uh, I've definitely come a far way. Um, my anniversary is August 18, 2006. Um, last night, I celebrated 16 years of recovery, um, which for me is just like <clears throat> mind-blowing. Um, I can barely even wrap my mind around it because it feels like just yesterday I could barely keep myself from going to jail every day, you know, and, um, or, you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, like I said, I'm a little bit nervous, um, because this is a big responsibility, you know, um, I have, uh, you know, a duty, an obligation to my recovery. Um, I feel like the longer I stay sober, the more I have to do to stay sober. Um, I'm one of those people that subscribe to the idea that my disease is in the parking lot doing push-ups. You know, and um, you know, the longer I stay sober, the tougher it gets, and um, I uh, I need to do more. And it's interesting because the more I do in this program, the better my life gets. You know, in all aspects, not just in this recovery thing. I feel like you know my relationships, my you know my finances, my you know just the way I feel every day just gets better and better. Um, you know, like I feel like today is one of the best days of my life. You know, um, because I just get to achieve so much. Um, and I don't let the fact that, you know, I had a tattered past hold me back, you know, um, because there was a long period of time where I thought like my life was over. You know, I thought that, you know, there was basically downhill from here. I was 24 years old and I thought like, this is it, you know, life is done. I'm like, the rest of life is going to suck um, because. I made a bunch of mistakes when I was a kid, um, and you know I'm gonna have to, you know, reap those those you know those you know for the rest of my life. Um, so so yeah. So let me uh, get started near in the beginning here. Um, I started drinking when I was 15. Um, I was at one of those parties with the you know the big metal can that you like pump, and they give you the red cup and you fill it up and you know, like you get a free beer basically. Um, and uh, I didn't really know if I liked beer or not, but I drank it, you know, everybody else was drinking it. So I drank some too. And um, before I knew it, I was blasted out of my mind. You know, I don't know how many I drank. Um, it didn't really matter. I just like wanted to be 
included. And then suddenly I was so far gone that like, I didn't even know what was happening. And, uh, and I would hear the stories the following day of how fun I was. And so, you know, I wanted to be that version of myself as often as I could, you know, even if I didn't get to remember it because I just wanted everyone to like me. You know, that was always a big thing for me is I wanted to be accepted and I wanted to, I wanted to just have friends. And so I did what everyone else did, you know, and I did it way more than they did it. But in my mind, I was doing it like equally as much as they were um, because I have an alcoholic mind. That's just the way that I do things. So I, uh, I dabbled with that and with some other, you know, forms of chemicals and I tried smoking stuff and I tried, you know, popping pills and I did a bunch of different stuff. Um, and then I started getting arrested. Um, and then they told me that they were gonna give me urine screens and that if I came up hot, I would go to jail. And I really didn't like that idea, so I stopped. Um, and I had no program. Um, they did send me to outpatient counseling, but I thought that they were like overreacting. You know, my thought was like, you guys are blowing this out of proportion. I got this under control. You know, like I just need to find the right combination. You know, I have to just drink at certain periods of time and then I'll be okay. You know, I gotta get this thing figured out. Um, but the problem with that was, is I don't have that ability. You know, I'm just like born without it for whatever reason. I didn't get the instruction manual. It just doesn't exist for me. Um, but I tried and I tried and I tried to get it to work and it just didn't work. Um, and then eventually, you know, like I kind of sort of figured out a system. I met a girl that liked the same beer as me. And so of course we were made for each other. You know, um, we like this um, Killian's Irish Red, which is total trash beer, um, but they sold it for a dollar a pint at Trooper Thorns on Route 10. So I drank that. Um, and uh, there was a few nights that I sort of remember where, you know, I would drive home with her, you know, cause I'm the guy, I gotta drive, you know, so I drive her home and, you know, like I take her to her house and, you know, everything's great. Um, and then I remember a night where we went to this place called Mulligan's, which doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. Um, some, maybe one or two of you may have ever heard of it. Um, long time ago, it's now a Target um, up on 422 in Exeter. Um, but at the time, it was a place called Mulligan's. And at Mulligan's, I was drinking these Labatt's. I remember the beer I drank, because every period of my life, there was like these sections of time where I did a certain thing. And at that time in my life, I was drinking, I was drinking Labatt's and I was getting snake bites, which is this terrible drink of Yukon and uh, lime juice. It's disgusting, um, but it was 90 proof and did the trick. So I was drinking these and I'm sure, I'm, of course I'm out with the girl. I take her home and you know, like we're fooling around in the driveway before I send her back inside, whatever. Um, and uh, I drive home, you know, but as I'm driving home, you know, I start doing this thing, okay? And this thing was like where I start to kind of like nod out while I'm like trying to stay awake. And you know, I have a few tricks for this. You know, I, I solved you know, how to, how to get away with this. I, I roll the windows down so the cold air was coming in. I'll turn the air conditioner on, you know. Um, I'll turn the music all the way up, you know. Open the moonroof. I got all these tricks for keeping myself awake. 
while I'm out of my mind, you know, and um, I guess it really wasn't working this time. You know, I guess I had more than I should have, and um, I started to do this thing where like my eyes would close and I would keep them closed for a few moments, you know, to kind of like quick rest up, you know, so I get the, you know, the boost to keep going. And, um, you know, a, a turn came up where I did this, this thing, but I guess my eyes stayed closed longer than I intended. And when I opened them, uh, I saw a sign that said 15 mile an hour bend. And I was probably going about 50. Um, and so of course I reacted slow because that's what happens when you get drunk is you have slow reaction time. And I slammed on the brakes and the car started doing this thing. I guess it was like anti-lock brakes or some shit started to kick in and the car started like turning a little bit. And so I'm like turning the wheel so it corrects, you know, whatever. And like I managed to flip the car without hitting anything, you know, just from, you know, momentum. And, uh, you know, the car's flipped over. Somebody comes up from behind and they were like, they were like, oh, don't worry. I, I called the cops. They're going to be here. Everything's going to be okay. You okay? And like, you know, I managed to crawl out of the car, like with just a, with a scrape. I had like a little cut, like up here on my head and that's it. That was all like, that happened to me because I wore my seatbelt. You know, I was safe. And, um, well, safe enough. Um, and uh, so I was like, I freaked out. I was like, oh no, like, because I knew I was, I was drunk, you know? And so I found this like incredible power inside of me and I like started rocking the car and I like managed to flip the car back over onto its wheels. Like, I don't know how I did it. I probably could never do it again. Um, but I managed to be able to, to rock it until it flipped. And uh, I got into the car and I was trying to like leave the scene and then my higher power jumped in and was like, nope, you're staying here. You're, you're suffering this consequence, you know? And uh, the car wouldn't start. So the cops came, they did the whole field sobriety test. Um, they wanted me to come in and give my blood because they thought that I was drunk and they were right, I was. Um, and so I went in, got the thing, um, and then they, they let me go, which surprised me because I had never been arrested where they let me go right away. And they were like, oh, they, they, you know, they called my, they made me call my parents. My parents came, and of course they were pissed because it was 2.30 in the morning. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought that, you know, I was good because they let me go. I thought they'd like tested the blood right away or something. I don't know why they thought that, but a few weeks later, I get a letter in the mail and letter in the mail says, you need to appear for court. And I was like, oh, well, maybe if I just like ignore it, it'll go away. And, uh, you know, like that's my, my attitude towards a lot of things when I'm drunk. It's like, I just basically ignore it and hope that it goes away. And um, didn't, uh, in fact, it came to me uh, in the form of at my job, you know, this job that I was like really excited to have. Um, it was a career that I was hoping to be in. And uh, they showed up to my job at seven in the morning while I'm still hungover from the night before because, you know, I didn't stop drinking at all. Um, and uh, yeah, they yelled out my name really loud and I was like, what the fuck? you know, what's going on? And they were like, okay, you're under arrest and da da da. I was like, oh my God, you know? And of course my boss saw it and you know, like what a, what a terrible thing for me to do to him, you know? Like, like I know that I got arrested and that sucks for me, but like he didn't deserve that, you know? Um, and so like while I'm in jail, you know, without bail, um, they sent, he sent me a letter and he was like, you're fired. Don't come back. 
you know, I'll mail you your last check, you know, don't, don't ever try again. And of course I was devastated. Um, told the girlfriend, girlfriend comes to see me, you know, visit me while I'm in jail. And, you know, she's like, oh, she's like, this is my fault. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is, I mean, how, why did you let me leave? You know, like that's, that's, that's terrible that you did that. And I guess I made her feel guilty and she like agreed to be like my chauffeur while I got my, my, my license suspended and um, I had to get a new car and all this stuff. It was just a like, total mess, okay? Um, and you think after an experience like that, most people would reconsider the amount that they drink, you know? After major consequences like that, someone might, might say, you know what, this drinking thing is probably not a great fit for me. Maybe I should calm down. But instead, I like ramped it up, you know, because I was just so full of like guilt and shame and I just like depressed and like all this stuff was happening to me. And um, I just started drinking like crazy. And I, I started like treating the girlfriend like shit because, you know, I was like half aware half the time. And eventually a day came when she was like, I can't be with you, you're an alcoholic. And I was like, whoa, you know, like how, how dare you say that? You know, like I was genuinely pissed about that, but she, she left, you know, and the relationship was over at that point. She took half the shit and you know, like that, that was like a, a huge blow to me. And so I set out to prove that I could stop drinking. And this was like my big experiment for me that like I could stop drinking on my own, you know? And uh, so I tried, I took my whole mini fridge that I had dedicated to just alcohol I had a whole miniature fridge with like four cases of beer in it. You know, of course I had all, all the good stuff too. It was like uh, Heineken, there was a case of Heineken in there, a case of, you know, like Killian's Irish Red. And then there was like two cases of Milwaukee's Best Ice, you know, for the, for the good times, you know? And uh, so, I, so I dumped it all out and probably like half a handle of like booze or something. I'm sure there was something in the freezer that I had because I always had enough to get me to where I needed to be. So I dumped it all down, and of course I immediately replaced all of the alcohol with caffeine, um, because that's how I roll. You know, I need, I need something to get me through the day. And so, you know, like it was a bunch of different types of caffeinated drinks. Um, and then since I had so much free time now that the girl broke up with me, I got a second job, you know? So I had two jobs, a ton of caffeine, and you know, like a ton of like, guilt and shame and depression, you know, all at once. It was a really bad mix. And the crazy in my head was just going nonstop, just going and going and going. Um, and uh, I had no program, I had no support, I had no direction, um, but I managed to not drink for a whole three months, um, which for me was a huge accomplishment. You know, I, I was able to, to make that that happen. And, um, but a day finally came where, you know, like, of course I'm hanging out. So I'm still going to a bar, you know, I'll go to the bar and I get like, you know, a Coke and I play pool, you know, because what else is a 23 year old gonna do? You know, where else am I supposed to hang out? You know, so I, the only place I knew to go hang out was at the bar, you know? So I'm at this place called Flanagan's, which still exists um, on Lancaster Avenue, hanging out at Flanagan's. Uh, you know, I'm ordering these Cokes or Sprites or whatever I was drinking that night. And the girlfriend was supposed to come and meet me. And via text, she flaked out on me. 
and of course I was pissed and and of like I was like well why am I even doing this because the only reason why I was doing it was to get her back um, and so I was like fuck it I'm just gonna drink and you know so I went to the bar and I ordered Labatt's and like the the bartender I remember like almost like cheered they were so happy that I finally caved in you know that they were like they were right on it they, they got me my beer right away and I think I had two beers and I went home and I was like okay see I can handle this not a big deal and um so I started just drinking regularly again you know and uh I still remember I was at a I was at this place called Champions you know it's a place for the winners you know that's where the real winners go to hang out and um I uh, I made this this agreement that I was going to have two beers and I was going to go home you know but something happened that always happens to me is as soon as I have those two drinks something clicks in my brain and my previous agreement that I made with, with myself, that thing that like I told myself I was gonna do, just goes out the window, you know? And suddenly, just like, I just let it fly. Like whatever happens, happens. Because um, people show up, you know, people wanna do shots, uh, and I love doing shots, and so why not? And suddenly I spent my whole paycheck, you know? And I had no money left, and that idea that I had while I was drinking, that I would get like a taxi, which I guess today would be an Uber, um, but back 16 years ago, we didn't have Uber, uh, so we had taxis. Um, that went out the window because I had no more money to pay for that. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just drive my car home really fast because cause I'm feeling kind of sleepy, you know? And uh, so I got in my car, and I'm driving home, and I forgot that, like, one of the tires was leaking air because that's, like, the type of person I am I like I don't pay attention to the important things I like pay attention to the things that don't matter um, like getting fucked up and uh, so I'm, I'm driving home with this leaky tire um, and some lady does this like weird turn I sort of remember it I had like clips that I remember from this night and you know she does this wide turn which is funny because it's right in front of the transitions house which is now you know a place where people get their recovery um, which is kind of ironic um, but yeah so this lady does this wide turn and I slam on the brakes but it was like misty out and so the road was a little slick and you know like I didn't have a whole lot of traction in that rear tire and so the car just kind of slid right into her and whacked her pretty good and she got out of the car and she's like oh stay right there I'll get the cops involved so that we can you know do everything with the insurance and it was like I remember this one, you know, I know what to do here. I say, okay, yeah, no problem. And she like gets into her car and I take off, you know, and I had the same attitude. I'm like, I gotta get home fast, you know, because I'm fucking out of my mind and I'm ready to pass out and I need to, I need to get to bed. And so I'm like whipping through these crazy windy roads at Moton. Um, some of you probably are familiar with how crazy the roads are over there because they're like up and down weaving all around like like mad you know and um i went over this high turn actually i couldn't even figure out where it was i had to go back for like a couple of weeks and looking around to see where this was but there was a spot where it went up kind of high and i probably got air off of it and my back tire like slid out and my car like whacked into this boulder so i got the second accident of the night you know and the car kept running so did i you know i just kept whipping through these crazy turns and got the car all the way home 
you know, miraculously, I, I survived. And um, got home, I'm in bed, I'm passed out. And like, I think it must've been like two, 2.30 in the morning or something like that. The doorbell just starts ringing like crazy. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on right now? Like who is, is doing that? And I get to, the, get to the door and it's the fucking cops. I'm like, oh my God. He's like, oh, were you driving? I'm like, no. <laughs> and they were like, oh, well, we looked at your car outside and we did like a paint transfer thing. And, you know, it's the same paint color as the van that was hit. And the license plate matches the license plate that they gave. And I was like, oh, okay. That's weird. <laughs> and uh, they're like, yeah, so we got to take you in for, you know, like a blood test. And I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, because like I already knew like I was fucked, you know. I knew that when it happened, but for whatever reason, I was deluded into the idea that like I would get away with it somehow. Um, but as it turns out, I suck at drinking. You know, even though I used to tell myself like I am awesome at it. In fact, I would thought I was so great at it that I would collect the bottles like fucking trophies. You know what I mean? Like I had a whole area in my in my kitchen that was like this shelf, and like I had like 85 different types of liquor bottles all around the whole thing and I was like man I am a master at drinking you know but as it turns out I suck and that's fine you know um so at that moment after that following morning I had this like overwhelming fear of like that like my life was over you know and so I tried to tell myself that day that like I would stop drinking and I tried and the shit in my head, the things that I would tell myself, it just wouldn't stop, you know? It just kept going and going and going until like by like 1, 2 p.m., like I felt like the only way to stop it was to just have some drinks, you know? And like, and I'd be all right. And that kind of worked, you know? It kind of worked um, for a few hours. And then I got into this really strange period where like I was almost drinking around the clock, you know? Like I would drink for a few hours, then I would wake up in the middle of the night and I couldn't fall back asleep. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just take a couple shots and then I'll fall right asleep. And then it got to a point where like my boss was picking me up from work or for work. And he was like, were you drinking? And I was like a few hours ago, but like not, not now, you know, he's like, well, you reek like booze. And I was like, this guy's full of it. Cause I was drinking vodka. Vodka doesn't have a smell. <laughs> But as it turns out, it does, and it fucking stinks, you know? I can smell it on people now, and it's like, holy shit, that's what I smelled like. Um, but yeah, a couple weeks went by, and you'd think I would figure out a way to stop drinking. I couldn't, I couldn't seem to do it, you know? And I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I ended up getting another public drunkenness this time. Luckily, I didn't get a third DUI. I deserved a third DUI, but I only got a public drunkenness this time. And I managed to like lose my keys in a random pool in a hotel because I guess I had the brilliant idea that I'm going to jump in the pool and wake myself up and drive home. Up in, I was like up in Pottstown and they like arrested me and they took me to Montgomery County Prison and they were like, they were like fucking giving me intake and everything. They were like, well, what'd you do? And I was like, I think public drunkenness. They were like, oh, you, don't, you shouldn't be here. And I was like, yeah, I shouldn't be here. Um, but I should have been there, you know, because it was the only way I was going to stop drinking is if someone intervened. And um, 
I guess that's where the brilliant idea came to me, which is I need to come clean. And uh, I remember my PO of all people told me that if I ever had a problem and I needed help, that I could come to them for help. And so I did, you know? So I went to them and I was like, look, I got another DUI. You know, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to stop drinking. And they were like, well, we can get you in a rehab if you can stop drinking for tonight. And I was like, I don't think I can do that. You know, I was like, because I, I told them that whole story up to that point. You know, I, I came clean with everything. And they were like, well, we can put you in jail. <clears throat> and I was like, yeah, I kind of expected that. And they're like, okay, well, are you ready to go now? And I was like, yep. And uh, so they, they took me away. And that was August 18, 2006, you know, which feels almost like a lifetime ago, but also feels like it was yesterday, you know. And uh, part of the reason why I continue to tell my story, the way I tell my story, is so I don't forget, you know, because I can easily go back to that. You know, remember how I was saying about the disease doing, you know, push-ups in the parking lot? Well, that's still going on. It's going on right now, you know. And um, if I don't continue to tell my, my story, then I'm going to quickly forget because we have this thing. It's like a built-in forgetter, you know. We quickly remember the good times, but we have a hard time remembering the bad times. Um, but this cool thing about this Alcoholics Anonymous thing is that's the cement that bonds us. You know, the thing that keeps us together is that common bond that we struggled for a long time and now we want to get well. And so we talk about the struggles that we had in order to have a better future, you know. And um, it's just one of the reasons why I'm, I'm happy. I'm enthusiastic to, to give my story tonight, you know. Like, I'm just, I'm just thrilled. And in fact, it's funny that um, I picked this as my home group originally because I was terrified of talking, you know. I was like, oh, I'm gonna pick a group where I don't have to say anything, you know. I can just sit in the back and just watch people, you know, and, and that'll, be, that'll be enough. Um, and then they told me about this tradition that we had, which is like, on your anniversary, you tell your story. And I was like, oh, okay, I don't think I can do that. And they were like, sure you can. And I was like, okay. Um, and then they got me warmed up by doing little commitments. You know, we used to go to Karen Foundation and tell our stories, and we'd go to the Reading Detox and tell our story. And, you know, like little clip versions, like 15 minutes, 10 minutes, something like that. But like, you know, got us used to doing it and remembering what it was like. Um, and that's why it's so easy for me to tell you what it was like, uh, even though it was so long ago, um, because I've told the story what feels like at least a hundred times, if not more. Um, and uh, so yeah, so went to jail. You know, I uh, didn't know I was alcoholic at that point. I just knew that I couldn't stop drinking on my own. And uh, a dude came to see me uh, because I heard about a program that they had where you get your own cell. You don't get a cell. You don't have to have a celly, which sounded pretty attractive to me. They said they had TVs on the block and there's board games and things for us to do. You can get all the books you want. You know, I was like, that sounds pretty attractive, you know? Um, and they were like, oh, there's one catch. You have to stay for six months. And I was like, whoa, I don't know if I can commit to six months. You know, that seems like a really long time. And they were like, okay, bye. <laughs> and I was like, oh, uh, okay. So I like signed up another sheet and I sent another thing and the guy came a week later and he was like, are you ready now? And I was like, yep, let's go. You know, like I need to, I need to figure this thing out. And um, they gave me a book of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, the book that we have at basically every meeting that you go to. Um, and I started to read the book by myself. And 
none of it made sense to me. Like a little bit of it made sense to me, but like my brain was so mushed up from all the drinking I did and all the pills that I took and all the weed that I smoked and all the, all the shit that I did that like making sense of, you know, this sophisticated writing was a little bit much for me. Um, but I gave it time, you know, I just like kept giving it time because I needed to stop drinking. And they told me that I could figure out how to do that if I started doing this program that they had. And they highly encouraged me to go to Alcoholics Anonymous when I left. Um, so as it turned out, um, I was enrolled into a program via my uh, public defender, you know, my high priced public defender that I could afford. Um, and uh, they got me this thing called the STOP program, which is the second time offender program, which is at the YMCA. And I was like, oh, that sounds right up my alley, you know? Uh, and he's like, yep, you leave today. And I was like, uh, I don't know if I can handle that. And he's like, you're gonna do it. And I was like, okay, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And so I left that day and I went to the YMCA and that was December 5th, uh, 2006. And, um, you know, I managed to stay in that program. I learned very little, um, but one of the things that I, that I did learn was that I should go to a meeting as often as I can. They had a requirement where I went to a meeting every day, um, which was right up my alley. You know, I was happy to do it. And um, one of the main things that I learned was that 50% of people that get one DUI get a second, and 85% of people that get two get a third. And I was like, whoa, those odds are pretty pretty intense. Um, so I better like figure this thing out or else I'm going to state prison for a year. Uh, that was pretty much what it was up against because if you get three DUIs within 10 years now, you go to state, you know, and I'm not built for state. You know, it's not, it's not a thing I want to do. So I better figure out this recovery thing. And lucky for me, there was a, there was a group that met um, every single day that was a few steps away you know, literally like a block away, I went to the Walnut Street Recovery Group, um, which, is a, which is a gritty bunch of dudes. If any of you ever been there, it's, it's a pretty raw group. Um, and a lot can be taken out of going to a meeting like that. Um, if you want to leave your, the comfort zone of the, of the suburban meetings um, and go into the city. Uh, I know a few of you have gone. I think Callie used to go to that one. It's pretty gritty. Yeah, uh, it's pretty cool though. And uh, yeah, so I went to that meeting for a long time. I had to stay in that program for three months. So before I knew it, I was six months sober, you know, and I had a little bit of time under my belt. I had a sponsor. Um, I had meetings that I liked to go to and things were going all right. You know, I hadn't drank in six months, which for me was huge, you know, and somehow I was like free to move about on my own without any sort of like person watching my every move. So they gave me a little bit more freedom. And, uh, you know, I learned as much as I could from going to the meetings. You know, they told me like one day at a time. Uh, they told me, you know, like you know, the, the how it works. They would read how it works. You know, it works if you work it. Um, but honestly, I wasn't really working it too much. You know, I was pretty much just going to meetings and talking to people, which, you know, kept me sober for a while because I was, I was afraid that I was gonna drink again. So fear, in a way, kept me sober for quite some time. And then after, a few more months of that, I started to get really swirly, as my sponsor would put it. Um, whereas, like, I was kind of all over the place, and it may be due to the, you know, the probably six or eight espressos I drink a day. 
um, and probably all the coffee that I drank at meetings. Um, it may have something to do with that. I'm not 100% certain at this point. I do know that I had my own espresso maker, espresso maker in my one room, you know, my room. I didn't even have an apartment, I had a room that I was renting on Ninth Street. Um, and uh, I basically just sat up and read Stephen King books, drank espresso, went to meetings, and worked my job. Um, I also thought for whatever reason that I couldn't have a good job. And I took whatever shit job I got, which was fine. Um, but for a while I worked at Hooters restaurant um, as a cook. And it was the worst fucking job anyone could ever have. But I did it because I was desperate and I needed money and I wanted to survive. Um, so I did that as long as I could. Uh, eventually other opportunities presented themselves. Um, ones that I didn't think that I was you know, deserving of. But I went for it anyway. And suddenly I had a much more prestigious job as being a bill collector, you know, which I thought was kind of cool because it was like, I felt kind of badass calling people and be like, yo, you got to pay your money, pay your money now, you know, give me your credit card. What's your checking account information? What's your social security number? You know, I got to ask people like all these questions, me, who was like a fucking not good person up to that point because I was still dragging around all of my past with me. Um, but lucky for me, I had a good sponsor and sponsor knew that I needed to do step work. And I basically was like, look, I don't know why I'm so crazy feeling all the time. Um, he's like, well, that's because you need to do the steps. And I was like, okay. So we started doing the steps and he just kept applying what I call gentle pressure, you know, where he kept giving me just enough push to get me motivated, but not pushing so hard that it would piss me off. Um, which is like a really tough place to find because alcoholics are extremely sensitive and also thick-headed. <laughs> so it's a really like tough blend of person to work with. Um, but being that myself, I understand what that's like. And I think he too, being like that, understood what that was like for me. And so he just gave me enough push to get me to do the work without pushing me so hard that I said, fuck it and drank. You know, because a lot of people do that. A lot of people say, oh, this fourth step thing, I don't want to look at myself. I'd rather drink. And they do, you know. And some of them die after that, which is kind of scary, you know. Um, I know some people who gotten to that point where they, they chose drinking or drugs or whatever over looking at their own life, you know. Which, honestly, isn't that big deal. You already know all this shit. In fact, you probably spend so much time thinking about it every day that it's like really not that hard, you know? So he pushed me to do the work. I did it, you know? He got me to do the amends. I didn't want to do them, but I did them. You know, I didn't want to pay back money to people I stole from. I didn't want to have to admit to people that didn't even know I stole from them that I stole from them, you know? And to give them money that I worked really hard to get, you know? But they, they deserved that. You know, and the neat thing about that experience is like every time I did the right thing, you know, my conscience felt a lot better, you know, and the way I felt about myself, my self-esteem got better. My confidence got better, you know, like so many aspects about my life got better, you know, and it really wasn't even that hard. You know, it was just, it was just difficult to do it because I was afraid. I was afraid that someone was going to say something, you know, that would hurt my feelings, you know, because, 
you know, because I'm sensitive, you know, whatever. And uh, yeah, so I did the nine step amends and suddenly I was in a spot where I was pretty free. You know, the whole thing that we read, the ninth step promises that we hear at the meetings, like that's for real, you know? And I got that then, and I still have that now. You know, many, many years later, I still have that freedom. You know, in fact, I, it got me to the point where like, I could go anywhere. You know, it says, it says in the book, you can go anywhere. And so I did, you know, I told my sponsor, I was like, hey, uh, so I got this brilliant idea, I'm gonna move to California. And he was like, okay, go for it. And I was like, yeah. I was like, are you sure? You think, you think I can do it? He's like, absolutely, you can do it. And I was like, okay. So like 27 year old me, who had always been stuck in Pennsylvania their whole life, except for that one time I ran off to Florida and got arrested and came back to Pennsylvania, um, except for that one time, um, there was you know this opportunity where I could do something different with my life because I was at a point where like, I don't know what, I'm supposed to be doing. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. You know, I'm 27 years old. I don't know what I want to do. You know, so I hopped on a plane, a one-way ticket, you know, sent a bunch of shit UPS out to an address that I thought I was going to live in that ended up falling through. I had nowhere to live. Um, but I used what I learned in the program, which was go to meetings and talk about what you're going through. And so I did that. And, you know, I, I reached out to the fucking internet Basically, it was like, went on my Facebook and it was like, hey, you know, and turns out somebody that I went to high school with was like several blocks away from me in 3,000 miles away from where I was, you know, and they were like, yo, come out, come hang out with me. Because it was surprisingly a person that I never like harmed, you know, I never managed to harm them in my life. And I told them about what I'd been up to and how I was sober and like how my life is like, I'm on this journey. I'm like, I've been launched into the fourth dimension of existence, you know, and they were like, that's awesome. You know, like, let me help you get to the next level. And so I stayed out there for a couple of years um, and I went to a bunch of meetings. Um, I got involved with the, the young people group out there. I joined a home group called the Hollywood Young People Group, um, which was pretty cool. You know, we had like 60 home group members, 300 people would show up to these meetings every week. It was enormous um, and it was exciting and it was fun, you know, but it wasn't home, you know, and, uh, I felt this like craving to come back here. Um, and I felt that feeling when I came to somebody's wedding, somebody who I got sober with, someone was always in my support group. Um, and I went to their wedding and I just felt connected again. And it was something that I've been craving for a couple of years. And uh, so I came back here and I was like, wow, we can, we can do that YPA thing here. You know? And so we went to ECPA in New York. Um, we started going to PENCPA here. Um, and, uh, you know, I got to meet a bunch of cool people as a result. In fact, I got a couple of those people to come speak here at this group in a couple of weeks. So, you know, make sure to come back and hear more stories from people that, you know, have been all over the country and have done a lot of fun things sober, you know, um, cause that's, that's what you're here to learn about, right? You know, you're here to learn how to be sober. Um, that's why I still come. I still come to learn how to be sober, but I also have some experience to share. You know, so it's my duty, obligation, and responsibility to share, you know? Otherwise, I don't get to keep what I have. Um, it's our 12th step requirement, you know, for us to stay sober. So that's why I do this, even though I don't wanna stand up here and talk for fucking 45 minutes. I'd rather be sitting in the seat listening to you, you know? But, you know, then who's gonna speak? You know, so I got that responsibility. 
Plus, I, I have a lot to say, as you can tell. Um, it might be the little bit of coffee that I had before the meeting, a um, little bit, you know, just to get me through that like anxiety that I had about doing this whole thing. In fact, my hands were like a little sweaty when I first got up here. It's kind of funny. Um, but you know, like you think after all these years, I'd have this like down. But honestly, like I don't have this speech rehearsed. You know, I'm speaking to you from the heart. You know, I'm, I'm sharing my experience, strength, and hope. Um, and you know, I hope that you guys do the same because I'm interested in hearing who you guys are and where you've come from and what you've been through. You know, it's one of the neat things about this whole Alcoholics Anonymous thing. That's why it works. That's why fucking Bill and Bob, our founders, were able to make it work. Like they were just like, Bill showed up to this random house and he was like, all right, I guess maybe I can talk to this guy. And, and Bob was like, this is great. And they sat there and talked for like five hours, strangers that had no idea who each other were. They were just sitting there and talking. And somehow that, you know, mushroomed into this, you know, where like we have meetings all over the world, you know, random people who don't know each other from a can of paint, you know, here together because we have this common bond, you know, this cement that binds us. And, you know, it's one of the, the great things about this whole thing. Like I can go anywhere, even 3,000 miles away, and I can connect with people and we have something in common, you know, even if our lives are completely different, you know, it doesn't matter. We're just one alcoholic helping another, you know, so that we can turn our lives from, you know, sucking, you know, where we feel like our lives are over to where, you know, we feel like we've been rocketed into the fourth dimension of existence, you know, which if you've never felt that, you know, I encourage you to just take our program seriously and give it a shot, you know, because like, what do you got to lose, you know? And um, yeah, like everything about this has been incredible in it. And it's not always great. You know, I do have some tough times. I had a hell of a time when we did COVID. When COVID happened, I had a really hard time with getting through that whole thing because I like connecting with people in person. And when they were like, oh, well, we have these Zoom meetings, and it was like, that is bullshit, you know? This is not working for me. And um, we had to do like illegal things to make our, you know, to make our recovery work. They were like, oh, no meeting in person. We were like, no, we're, we're meeting in person, you know? And we would go and hang out at people's houses and stuff like that to make it happen. You know, we would, we would meet on the sly on walks and stuff like that, you know? Like stuff like that would happen because I need this connection. You know, if I don't have this connection and I'm isolating all the time, like I'm really close to a drink. You know, if, if I'm staying by myself, listening to myself, you know, I got a lot of problems because I can just get crazy, you know, and having you guys around setting me straight, you know, like telling me and just because I am sober all these years doesn't mean that I have my shit together. You know, sometimes <laughs> I feel like I have my shit together and sometimes I do. You know, but sometimes I don't. And sometimes people need to give me a kick in the ass. And uh, I need that, you know? Like Dave, all the time, calling on me in meetings. You know? I need that. Even though I get fucking pissed when you do it, you know? But it's all right. Um, and that's why I nudge the rest of you guys. Like, Will knows, I'm always fucking nudging him, you know? All the time. That's because I care about you, you know? But I care about all of you guys. Like, I don't really know you all, but I'm interested. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this program's been great. 
There's been so many great things that's happened in my life. I even get to fucking sponsor people, which is even crazier. You know, like people that like their lives are shit now, you know, I can help them to be able to turn their lives around. And it's really not that tough for me because the program's basically figured out for us. You know, they wrote a book and they were like, just follow what the book says, you know, like just do what's in the book um, and you can fix your life, you know? Now we're not gonna do it for you. You still have to do the work, just like I had to do the work, you know? But your lives can turn around. And um, I don't know, I feel kind of ranty and preachy at this point. Um, like I've been just going on and on about like how great everything is, um, but it's my truth, you know? Today was probably like one of the best days that I've had because everything with my work life is good, you know, people that I'm helping are doing well, you know, and then I got this opportunity to share my experience, you know, with people that I care about. So with that, I'm going to shut up and I'm going to turn the meeting back over to Aaron unless there's any questions or comments or anything that anyone wants to share. But other than that, thanks for letting me share. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speakers Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through its seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link on our website, newlifespeakers.org. You can also find a link for this in the description below. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and thanks for listening.